Hello, I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much product was being sourced overseas and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that were still making in Britain. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in the UK, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be telling the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and manufacturers and offering advice to those that want to make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Make It British podcast. So today I have got a chap called Matt Booth on the show. He has a company called Both Barrels, which is a rather splendid and obviously made in England um, men's travel and accessory brand. Well, actually soon to be unisex um, travel and accessory brand. Now, Matt has a previous background in design and branding for some big brand names. And he decided to take the plunge and set up his own business a few years ago. So this interview will be particularly interesting to anyone who is thinking of doing the same. He talks about what his challenges have been with finding UK manufacturers and how he's managed to make that work well for him. Particularly interesting is what Matt has to say about how he's collaborating with other brands in order to get his um, business out there, really, and not have to try and even compete with some of the big boys and their big marketing and advertising budgets. So I hope you enjoy this interview. As always, all the details about um, the Both Barrels brand, about anything that's mentioned in this show, can be found on the show notes, which you can find at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash 027. That's not the numbers 027 for this episode. Right. Now over to the interview with Matt. Hello, Matt. Welcome to the Make It British podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. Is it um, snowy in Manchester today? Yeah, I'm afraid so. We've got uh, snow for we've got legacy snow is uh, the best way to describe it. And we're expecting more tonight, aren't we? So I I love the snow. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's one of those things that's nice to look at, but quite inconvenient to uh, to, kind to of get look. around. Yeah. So do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about you, what your background is, and how you came to set up? Um, your business yeah of course uh, so I'm a I'm a designer or I used to be a designer um, I've been designing for about 15 years I've worked for some enormous companies during that time um, mostly focused on performance sportswear uh, but I've also done quite a lot of background in uh, luggage um, and kind of broadly speaking I'm familiar with everything from apparel uh, to accessories to equipment to really very very niche stuff on uh, elite level goalkeeper gloves that are worn kind of in top level competition um, and everything that's kind of stuff you wear stuff you use all that kind of thing so a traditional kind of product designer um, focused on stuff that's got shapes and edges rather than sort of digital and how um, in your in your time as a designer how much time did you spend in factories and how much of that would have been made overseas versus the UK yeah, I, th I think uh, probably 
not enough time spent in factories uh, would be would be quite a succinct answer to that. I think some of that's due to the logistical challenges of of these big businesses generally man, like manufacturing overseas. So you'd probably get you know uh, a seasonal trip to which would usually be a couple of weeks to the Far East. Uh, potentially also meeting some suppliers at, at things like trade shows or those type of uh, shared spaces were, were quite good. Um, and for those for those businesses that I'd worked for uh, before, kind of setting up my own business and, and being a freelancer, um, almost everything was was overseas. So, what just made you decide to make the change and become your own boss and set up both barrels? And maybe yeah. you should also explain to people what both barrels. What, yeah, what sure. This is this is where it gets a bit kind of complex, doesn't it? It's kind of uh, it's it's built out of my own personality, and I always kind of forget that. Uh, which, <laughs> which I think is like loads of what happens with people. It gets a bit weird talking about yourself, but in business terms, it's quite well. I'm I'm giving you free reign now to talk about yourself. Tell right. me yeah, and tell everyone that's listening to this. Describe what your business is, what you do, and what your products look like. Yeah, so both barrels is a is is business luggage uh, focused on kind of the the changing needs of more and more people who are working from almost everywhere. Um, so I think there's a great statistic that by 2020, 50 percent of the workforce will be uh, remote workers, uh, mm. which is which is like an incredible sea change from from when I started my career, where kind of almost nobody was a remote worker. Um, and also, I think there's been a big, big change in terms of life balance with work, uh, which is which is definitely a good thing. Um, so the the both barrels business is kind of born out of insight of traveling around the world with work um, and understanding that although um, although we all travel a lot, what we travel with has changed quite significantly, and a lot of the processes that are associated with that have changed too. Uh, so we're kind of traveling more, but we're traveling with less stuff. And both barrels represents kind of the, the the meeting point of style and function, uh, but built with that business mind. So it's it's kind of a place where everything's very uh, simple, uh, but beautifully crafted product that's that's functional for what you need it for. And it's all men's um, accessories that you make, isn't it? Yeah, at the moment it's it's kind of. Um, it's it's heading in that direction. Although we've had loads of feedback about um, a move towards kind of uh, gender neutrality, which definitely yeah. in the business world is is something that um, we've had quite a few kind of female customers who almost quite like the that sort of aesthetic as well. Which is a really interesting point point for me to kind of learn from is that it's it is accessible to anybody. Um, so we don't design seasonally particularly so there won't be you know a, a kind of a, a seasonal print or anything it's, it's much more classically designed um, which is, I think is a bit more reflective of what UK manufacturing is very very good at yeah that's so true yeah so when um obviously the, the brand is made in the UK otherwise I wouldn't have you on the show Indeed. so you had these ideas um for the luggage that you produce how did you take that from your designs and your ideas to the first manufacturer and what were the challenges along the way yeah i think i think <laughs> this is like a, a bit where probably um i was the most equipped so um the the sort of the the background that i've got in design is is uh, comprehensive so I, I knew everything from uh, concept design to branding to logos to 
all, all the stuff that's kind of um, areas in which there's cr- like creative output. But I also yeah. have the, the strong suit in terms of uh, product development, um, understanding what language generally factories speak um, yep. in terms of, you know, getting things ready so that they're uh, production friendly. Um, I was also in a position where I was taking a relatively uh, flexible approach with, with those initial designs where I think that the main benefit I had was knowing that if I worked with the factory rather than uh, sort of turned up as some sort of like design dictator that, yes. I, was, <laughs> that I was more likely to have a, a beneficial outcome. Um, yeah, that's so and, true. That's and so I think, true. And I think a lot of these, um, a lot of these factories and, and the, the sort of the manufacturing facilities are so used to people turning up with stuff that's um, difficult for them to make. I think it's really important to listen to what's going on in those first conversations. And a bit like if you have a builder around to your house and they start sort of drawing <laughs> in breath when they see what your plans are, you kind of have to read that a little bit. Um, so there was an element of flexibility required with that, but I was well prepared for that because that's what I know. So when you say you were prepared, so you had things like spec sheets and tech yeah. packs and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was quite, I mean, I, I, I sent, I sent sort of, pretty much production ready drawings and things up to the factory in that initial, in that initial kind of point of contact, which was then, um, followed up by, um, like you say, sort of spec sheets, probably the, the beginnings of like a bill of materials, which, which isn't quite so comprehensive in bags and accessories as it might be in outerwear particularly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there was, and I guess the, the nice part about that was then, understanding that um, that would then lead us to a more intelligent route with things like pattern cutting. Um, I didn't want to do the, the sort of the, the version of, of um, almost taking something off the shelf. I wanted these things to be uh, bespoke and well thought about and, you know, my own, my own vision of what I think is useful um, rather than, okay, can we have that, but can I have my logo? Yeah. So did you go up to, at what point did you go up to the factory to, yeah. to see the manufacturer? So I, th- I think it was about, um, it, it probably took, probably took about two weeks to kind of work out, you know, what I needed to send and, and what that looked like. And then probably a further two weeks of them being able to kind of process some of that information and then sort of joining them for a, for a fairly comprehensive meeting. Um, yeah you know, to, to, to go through things and also to sort of build a bit of a relationship between myself, the supplier, um, a bit about the business vision as well in terms of understanding what, what I want to do with it longer term and what that looks like for me. Um, and for them, I suppose, as well, for the yeah. manufacturer. And, and I think building that's, just, that's the thing, building a, building a sense of kind of rapport with people, um, also kind of using it as a bit of a you know, um, I think a big, big pull for me about making in the UK is that you can get in the car and go and knock on the door. Oh yeah, um, that's so true. I'm always, I'm always banging the drum about that one. Even yeah. if, I mean, I don't know where your manufacturer's located compared to where you live, but even if you live in Cornwall and your manufacturer's in Scotland, it's still not as difficult to get there as it is to fly to China, is it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, look, I think through the last sort of six months or so, it is, it is kind of... Um, it is difficult to get these appointments that I don't, I don't think, you know, we should, we should dress that up. You, you do have to pursue those things. And I right. know there's, there's been sort of, you know, podcast episodes and, and, and stuff about, you know, some of the pitfalls of things. And 
I think you've just got to be, you've got to be realistic about, you know, even if you think you're Donatella Versace, the chances <laughs> are your tiny account, which is from a startup business, is less of a priority than stuff that's been on the line for, you know, it's been a year in the planning. So there is a bit of a reality check with that. So what was your secret sauce there then? How, cause how did you manage to get the manufacturer to choose you? And what advice would you give to other people who are, who are taking that first step into a factory? Yeah, I, th- I, think, uh, um, I think first impressions certainly count. And I think if you can turn up uh, with, a bit of, with a bit of keenness and also kind of with the approach of trying to listen first rather than, uh, like I say, become some sort of dictator, I think that's a that's a good way to go, and also understand like what the factory's capabilities are. So if if I'd turned up to that manufacturer and said, okay, I want everything to be laser cut and bonded, they would have said, you've come to the wrong shop, sir. Um, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. that's not what we're geared up for. Um, but if you want things to be kind of uh, very nicely handmade uh, in in that respect, I think I think you've got half a chance. Um, so how long did it take you to do the research to find the manufacturer that you're working with now from the very first sort of concept idea that you had to when you were found a manufacturer that you were happy with and you were sitting down in that first meeting? I'd say the whole thing probably is, is like a six month process, maybe yeah. um, just in terms of, you know, I think, I think the other part to consider here is if you're turning up to a manufacturer you're also going to need to turn up with some sort of information about materials and some sort of information about trims. So you need to do a lot of like accessibility work before you even get to that conversation with um, somebody that's going to be handling CMT or, you know, that, that, you know, putting the, putting the nuts and bolts together. So there's quite a long lead time with, with all the stuff that happens even before you get to that conversation. Yeah. And what, what's the biggest thing you'd wish you'd known then right at the start Oh, when, wow. you, when you yeah. when you first um, you know started on this whole journey, particularly when it comes to manufacturing, if you, what would you what advice would you give to someone? What do you wish you'd known? <sighs> there's there's like a hundred things that I would you do know. it all again, or would you just think no? No, I, th- <laughs> I think this is the part that I'll try and try and sort of answer the second part of this first. But I think this is why you see that people's businesses over time get better and better and better because you learn mm-hmm. so much through through the doing process. And I think, I think I probably would have, um, I probably wouldn't, you know, want to, um, want to put people off, but it's also about understanding that you might, you might start out somewhere, but you're going to finish somewhere else. Um, and that's the thing that you see a lot of that people kind of almost hide a bit about their businesses. So there's lots of successful businesses that start up as, um, I don't know, something like, um, I don't know, like a very small niche in a, in a market. And then they end up connecting with a community that they can serve in a different way. And I think that's what's exciting about both barrels is it's not called like Matt's Bags Company. So it can, <laughs> it can kind of move into some different places, um, which is great. And, and it allows us to collaborate with other people based on, um, based on doing sort of the, the one thing well type approach. rather than so, it sound, so it sounds like a lot of what you're saying is about building relationships. Absolutely. It's been a big part of setting up the business. And also, I suppose, about building the brand. So you had a background, didn't you, in branding yeah. and design? Yeah, definitely. How did you go about developing the brand specifically for both barrels? And was that different to the way you'd, when you'd work for these great big brands? 
Oh, I mean, enormously. Yeah, I think, I think, <laughs> I think when you've got a brand that's been going for, um, you know, for, for forever and a day, and it's synonymous with, you know, its marketplace, and it really commands its customer base, and, you know, it means something to those people. When you're working in the kind of the the, the confines of the design and depart, design and development department, you don't really understand the value of that at all. You're just sort of working on a line plan and. You know, you may be working with a product manager about, you know, what we can do better. You may be being dictated to a little bit by what happens um, in terms of retailers. And for both barrels, it's, that's a completely different model because we don't do that wholesale route because for right now, it's not the right thing for me to do with, with the business because it puts our prices at a place where I don't think I'd buy a product from myself if I had to accommodate those margins. So there's so yeah. much of it that you don't really understand but i guess that's also because the business at that point is so established and so big that you just kind of that's just part of what you sign up for at that stage so so for me on both barrels there's been so much discovery on you know what a brand means uh, to, to 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 other people um so it means something to me and getting that getting that kind of design philosophy out there in product form is is an enormous challenge and i think what what's been tough over the last couple of years is almost pursuing lots of different routes to market to find out, okay, where do we connect with our community the best? And now sort of now that I'm entering kind of year, year three of the, of the kind of the whole thing is I'm much more able to focus on uh, serving those communities much, much better. So which communities are they for you? How have you found, what have you found is the best way and the best platform to get out there and reach your target audience? So I think Instagram's a brilliant one for us because uh, we can we can be quite visually rich in that in that channel. Um, so that's a, that's a really good one. I think some stuff that goes on with um, uh, with a, a kind of a return to more traditional means as well. So I'll be I'll be taking a stall at, uh, at Altering in Market, which is just literally where 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 the whole thing's from uh, in terms of geographically, which means we're a bit more able to. Uh, connect with people who uh, are inspired to do their own thing or they're, you know, they're into stuff that's a bit more experiential when it comes to, comes to retail. Um, and I think the sort of the, the return of that is, is, is a powerful place to be. You're then also able to align yourself with other similarly minded brands, uh, yeah, which, which yeah. is just great because you, the stuff you learn from those people um, who are also kind of, you know, just as, just as determined and, and just as kind of passionate about what it is you're doing helps you to feel like you're not kind of just shouting in a bit of an empty room. And that's other businesses that all make in England as well, isn't it? A lot of them are yeah. altering a market. Yeah. And, and those yeah. people are doing stuff that is, I mean, you, you can't, you can't get in there if you're not good, if you're not selling stuff that's, that's representative of what the brand of that market is now, you know, I think I'm, I'm from this area. So I remember, years ago it used to be where you would go and buy like stale sweets and sort of ma <laughs> like massive underwear um which is all very fun like that's all great so i can't uh, go there to buy my big pants anymore then no i mean you could also buy like a bewildering amount of hoover bags like i don't even know really like what those are but anyway there was this and now it's just this completely different place where i guess people go because they want to they they want to connect with the person who's who's kind of uh, behind the brand and, and is making some of those positive changes um, with regards to you know building solutions for people. So how did you go about getting a? Because that is something I get asked quite a lot 
from people, small businesses like yourselves that want to find the right sorts of markets and shows and things that are going to kind of offer a return on investment for their for their brand. How how did you find the market or get accepted as someone that would um, have a have a stall at the market there? Yeah, I, th- I think it's I think there's sort of two or three two or three routes to this. One is that it's a really good idea if you're bringing something that's different and authentic. Um, so it's it, it's probably you know being slightly different to some of the other stall holders there who are doing amazing things with regards to footwear. Uh, with regards to like woven home textiles, which just are amazing creations, which are also then complementary to the sort of story that you're trying to tell with your own piece. So I would imagine that if you're turning up with something that's a little bit more disposable, it's a bit more difficult because that doesn't help the the quality that the that the market in this instance is trying to trying to attract into into its offering. Um, yeah. That's great. What I'll do, I'll put a link to the Altrincham Market and the details about yeah. it because it sounds like it's the sort of thing that a lot of people that listen to this podcast are going to want to go and visit. Is it yeah. worth a special detour up to Altrincham? When is yeah. it? It's on the weekends. Yeah, so I'll, so um, I'll be there each weekend in February, um, sort of, and then hopefully uh, through what comes after February, March and April, and then I'm hoping that I can go on like a both barrels summer tour during that <laughs> summer holiday period where I learned last year that actually that's a great time to go and find out what other people are doing elsewhere. So I'm, I have a real strength in, in the spring and the autumn winter, but that gives me an opportunity in summer to go and do some other stuff. Um, so yeah, it's definitely worth a detour. Um, it's very well served by the Metrolink. Um, it's also the, the, the market itself is next to one of the most amazing sort of uh, curated food producers that is i mean it's it's worth going to get just coffee, for the food eat to do you know to to have that sense of community and it's um yeah it's certainly worth a visit and and obviously if, if people want to kind of come and hang out with me that's that's clearly brilliant um brilliant uh, that's really cool so back to the manufacturing then yep. what um your bags, obviously, you mentioned trims and fabrics. How much of that did did you were you able to source from the UK, and and how much of it have you had to use imported parts for the bags? Yep. So it's I think there's about four components that are that are external. The rest of it is is as UK as it can be. Um, so things like the cotton webbing that I use for the handles, that's that's UK sourced. Um, the wool is from Yorkshire. Uh, from a from um, a very famous producer there. Um, you the, use Abraham Moon, don't you? Do you that's use Abraham right, Moon's yeah, fabric? That's yeah, right. I've been to their mill. Yeah, which is just yeah. like it's just nuts. Like the the thing that excited me about the the fabric potential there was doing something that's very very kind of traditional, but then it's it's got this real kind of modern innovative treatment to make it waterproof and. Um, using like a bondage treatment meant that I could put a cotton twill uh, purple lining on the inside of everything in one oh. layer. And how did, did you find so Because Abraham Moon don't do the bonding for you. So you, you had to find someone else to do that part for you, did you? Yeah, that's right. So there was, there was yeah. quite, quite a significant cost with regards to raw materials um, at, the, at the outset, um, which, which means that, you know, if you, even before you've kind of got to the start gate, there's quite a lot of 
money spent on your on your fabric and innovation. I was going to ask you about costs. So how, how you don't have to tell me the actual figure, but compared to maybe a budget that you started out with right from the beginning, did you manage to sort of stay within that budget or did you find it cost you a lot more than you'd envisaged from the start to set up a brand that was made in the UK? I, th- I think the sort of there's a couple of answers to this, which is <laughs> there wasn't really a budget to start with um, because there was an air of kind of, I don't really know what a budget would look like in this in this instance because it's not something I've done before. Um, but I think that launching the brand for um, for the amount that I did is probably the biggest thing I've achieved in design over the over the over my whole career. Um, not because it's like a, a money thing, but because there was so much kind of uh, integrity that went into pursuing this this authenticity. Um, the the tough part for me was that since that initial cost um you then have got to sort of find that find that money almost again for the marketing part of things which is yeah which is really quite tough to to kind of go back to the well and and find things out and you know i'm i'm going to be super super transparent is the cost of mistakes are very high um because you know things like finding out what your business model is that that you can have an idea but it takes genuine kind of time and, and, and energy to pursue, okay, is this the right thing to do? And, you know, you, you put money into stuff, which is um, essentially kind of business development. Yeah. So advertising and marketing and just getting your brand out there. And also, you- also, Kate, sort of finding out like what's, what's happening in terms of, you know, we've had like an absolutely seismic change in the way that people uh, connect with brands and, and kind of, um, consume their goods um, yeah, and that yeah. whole thing is dead different so so for me with the background that I've got with very established brands you know the, the, a lot of their future was dictated to by you know key accounts and, and retailers and things like that whereas yeah that isn't the case here so I, I didn't I, I spent sort of year one pursuing you know the traditional routes of things like trade shows and whatever else and actually the, the model of the the model that I can offer the best value for the highest possible quality product doesn't work within that channel so there was a bit of a, a bit of a period of like finding out what works and clearly that costs both time and money to to find out you know what where where you fit yeah that yeah that's so true i mean i always say to people um you can never you know leave enough money for marketing at the end because even if you think that you might be able to sell everything through a free instagram account you've still got to invest your time in doing that haven't you and i know some brands that spend hours every day on Instagram to to do the business that they need to do. You've got a full time job, haven't you? You've got another job still at the same time. Yeah, so still- I'm, I'm I'm still um, so four years ago I, I sort of went into freelance uh, design and development work, which has been uh, an unbelievable journey in terms of um, learning from other businesses, uh, learning about you know ha- what challenges they face, and being able to almost um, keep a keep a few notes on on the way that I want to proceed with with what I'm doing here um which has been amazing but then I think for for some of the plans to kind of come back into place for both barrels now that I've got a much clearer idea of how much time it takes from me um when it's when it's appropriate to to act on things might mean that I need to go back into uh, like full-time work so that it's just a bit more balanced um and that's quite often the case I think for 
well, it's probably more so the case for me because I do all of this on my own. So there's no like help from a from a partner or um, or anything like that. So it's it's quite tough to sustain. So you're a 100% one man band. You've got no one at all helping you with any marketing or sales or anything like that at all. No, it's it, so the, the the sort of the the only the only help I'd had in the in the first instance was through kind of the uh, digital marketing channel, which was which was brilliant in terms of uh, finding out you know finding it, finding your footing in that first instance. But then I think what I'd learned from that is that people generally. Um, aren't sort of googling for this type of product then they're a bit more they're a bit more led to it by you know the the face-to-face experience yeah or influencers which brings me on to you know influencers have you ever thought about or used someone who's you know a perceived influencer to send your products to to get them to you know to get marketing in in that way yeah I I think that's the that's the sort of the million dollar question a bit is, is that this, this is one of those, it can go two ways type things. And, and probably in the, in the first couple of years, it was a big part of like, Oh, that'd be great to get, you know, this person or that person or, or this community involved. And I think it's something that I would still consider doing as long as it was like an authentic thing. So it wouldn't yeah. really work if somebody had, you know, I don't know, 2 million followers or whatever, but they were known in a community of uh, doing lots of squats in the gym. Like it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't really work, you know, it's like, a, it, it has to be like a genuine thing. And for me, it's almost, you know, um, it's almost finding these, these kind of small people who are a bit more like everyday folk who are just getting about their business. And there's something quite nice about that. And I think that's the way that things will spread more mouth to mouth, sort of that, you know, um, what, sort of that personal referral rather than yeah. almost a, a saturation. Um, and it's also understanding that, you know, if, if you're making good quality stuff, which which the which the bags are and the everything that, that carries the, the the both barrels brand is is exceptionally good quality, that there's a significant cost in giving away that stock. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and yeah. that's not to say that they're going to be like, oh, hey, this is really nice, and I'm going to use it. You know, co- you, you hear horror stories of people kind of, you know, reporting the wrong things, or and that can be an enormously damaging, damaging step. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And I know so many brands that have been contacted by supposedly influencers who'll say, you know, give me a free bag or a free dress or whatever, and I'll put, I'll wear it on Instagram and show it to my two million followers. But and I think if they're not the, the right person, that's the dangerous time. And I think for me, the 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 more the more exciting opportunity with regards to influencing is actually kind of partnering with. Uh, some of the uh, more like-minded brands that, that that we know from the Make It British community to sort of say, look at what we can do as a as a partnership. So I've seen some amazing yes. stuff between um, uh, the, there's like a, a, a goat tannery, goat leather tannery, and a footwear oh, company. Oh yeah, yeah, Billy and Tannery, yeah. Billy and, and the and the guys at Crown Shoes, and it's it's like a really authentic, yep. genuine thing to do. That's like this this shows that we have got kind of innovation and we've got um we've got this pedigree that we can put together in a in a creative but useful way rather than almost going down the line of like here's some more stuff that you don't really want to buy you know it is it's, it's it, i think that the i think that unless unless you've got that kind of um bulletproof person to be your influencer or whatever that looks like I think just having a bit more depth to your story is, is a better tell at the moment. 
Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point you made about collaboration and how important that is to brands, particularly those that have got, you know, the common theme is that they do, they do all make in the UK and they're working together and not competing with it against each other because I think that's kind of feels like that's what's different now. Whereas before people were like, I'm not telling you who my manufacturer is or I'm yep. not going to share any of my publicity or my audience with you and people are working together. There's, we're back to that old kind of post-war spirit, aren't we? Of You know, we're all British and we're all working together and helping each other. Definitely. I, th- I think that's the part that's exciting is that I think once once you've established that this is what you're doing and, and you're not trying to... You're not trying to be like, um, you know, it's like, let's say, for example, I was I was trying to develop um, some sort of apron. The first person I'd go to would be Charlotte at the Stitch Society to say, yeah, yeah, you do this yeah. better than me, and how do we both win at doing this? Like, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Rather mm. than being like, this is an opportunity for us both, rather than, um, you know, uh, almost, almost that kind of feeling you get when somebody's trying to copy your homework and you're putting your hand yeah, over exactly. your writing and stuff. <laughs> like there's, there's really no need. And I think this is the part that maybe is the, the greatest advantage of, of the British manufacturing angle is you can make in small quantities and, and sort of show that you've got, um, you've got that mind for creativity and innovation without it needing to be in the tens of thousands of units. Yeah, and if anything, people that people are looking for something new and interesting and made in smaller quantities and smaller volumes, aren't they? I think so, and and I think that's the that's the part that is probably um, sort of wheeling back a couple of points about 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 both barrels was a lot of the reason for starting in the the bags and accessories area was I was so well versed in apparel and the issues that that come with that in terms of having to make in lots of different sizes and you know the, the stuff that goes along with it. it it wasn't the it wasn't the right platform whereas i've started in a place that can go into some different areas um yeah. which is exciting and you've kept the range quite tight haven't you rather than trying to do the clothing and the accessories and footwear and everything all at the same time exactly but, but what what is the long what are the long-term plans then you're an accessory brand or a luggage brand at the moment, where do you see yourself being in five years? Uh, well, hopefully um, there'll be a more kind of uh, refined vision of, of what those useful products are. And I think, I think we started in a really kind of tight place. And then I think that, that the, the aim of that was to, to kind of show what you can do across the board and, and using the same design thinking across lots of different pieces. So there's like five or six kind of key pieces in the range. I think in five years' time, it'd be great if we were sort of synonymous with that, you know, useful business, utilitarian kind of working everywhere sort of sort of community. Um, and recently we've added in uh, some beanies, which are made in Manchester, which came about. Oh, through, brilliant. Yeah, which came about through a contact through uh, Make It British, which is brilliant. So Good. we've ended up doing some like fun stuff together with that. And that's, well, it was fun for me. It's probably a pain for for the manufacturer <laughs> but like again that was that was kind of based on okay let's see what happens and I think I think for me it's, it's kind of remaining open-minded about what it can be um and not sort of putting too many plans in the way of of what's happening right now because I think that's where the advantage of small brands is is that you can be responsive and reactive to to what's going on um yeah 
and what the what your audience wants, what people want to buy now, and you wouldn't be able to do that if you suddenly decided to make your bag range in China, for instance, because you'd be probably sitting on hundreds of pieces of stock, wouldn't you? Absolutely, and and although those you know those sorts of decisions, you can you can sort of understand why people do do things that way. Like I, I fully understand that. It's not the best way to find out, you know, where your where your authentic brand is. Um, and, and that's the thing that's the challenge for the startup is to continue to to pursue that and, and to continue to drive that that you know the the, the 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 conversations around what you're trying to do. Yeah. Brilliant. Matt, you've been absolutely fantastic today. I'm gonna to get you let you go now. You can okay, go out and play no in the snow oh, with, with one of your beanies on. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping they go well this weekend actually, because uh, hopefully yeah, we'll of course. see people without any headwear. But God, yeah. I remember those days. I used to have a stall on Camden Market back in the early nineties when I had my own brand. And I remember having to we had metal tables at Camden oh. and I had to scrape <laughs> the ice off. So one tip I give you, take cardboard. What you need to do you have to stand on car break up some cardboard boxes and stand on them because it insulates your feet because even if you're wearing dms which is what i used to wear when i was doing my market stall your feet are flipping freezing so right, okay. good luck That's take your cardboard wear your dms and wear your beanie hat yeah i think, I think <laughs> it's going to be like every layer that i've ever owned is going to be coming with me so uh, no that's brilliant. great that's great and i'm going to come up and see you at some point oh, at, at the market yeah brilliant. and i'm also going to put the link to it and to your website in fact what is the url for your website so people can find you if they're listening in now yeah it's just this is both barrels.com brilliant so i'll put that in the show notes and some pictures uh of you in your bags as well and oh, a link to your instagram i'll i'll put it all in the show notes oh fantastic um, for this yeah, podcast the, the pictures of me are probably the the the, the kind of the, the the worst part of it the bags are good though <laughs> like the bags are all right the rest of it look i look like a robber so uh anyway brilliant lovely to talk to you matt thanks very much kate i'll speak Take to you care. soon thank bye. you bye bye If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers from the fashion, textiles and homeware sectors, you should definitely come to our trade show, Make It British Live. The next event is taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London. With over 200 exhibitors, inspiring talks just like the ones you've been listening to on this podcast and interactive workshops, it's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive again. Registration is now open. Just go to makeitbritishlive.com forward slash register to register for a free ticket. If you're a British-made manufacturer or brand and want to find out how your business can benefit from being involved in the show, just visit makeitbritishlive.com forward slash exhibit, fill out a short questionnaire and one of my team will get straight back to you. To reach out to me personally, the best place to do this is via LinkedIn. Just look up Kate Hills and you'll find me. You'll also find me on Twitter at Make It British and Instagram at Make It British too. For all show notes for these podcasts, just go to makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash podcast and you'll find all the details. And make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing in iTunes, Stitcher or whichever is your preferred podcast app. And I really would love it if you left me a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more 
people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye.